Hi, welcome to Unleash Ministries podcast, where Pastor Nathan Sanford will guide us through daily Bible studies, prophetic revelations, and life-changing encounters with the Father's love. Join us for near daily content as we dive into the Word of God. Welcome back to our journey through Second Peter. We're just now kind of jumping into, uh, well, kind of the end of the, the beginning of the, <laughs> the end of the beginning of the book. I get to sit here right now and listen to beautiful rain fall down outside. And it's so weird to be when you're from Colorado, originally from North Idaho, and you spent 30 years in Colorado. In January, it does not rain. It will just be freezing cold or it will be snowing. And so... <laughs> To be looking outside at, at uh, the low last night was 60 in January as a low and to have it just be raining and be like 65 or 68 or whatever is just kind of weird and cool. But anyway, that has nothing to do with the teaching here. I just uh, <laughs> I just wanted to basically come and, and tell you guys a little bit about what's going on. But I want to jump right into Second Peter. We left off on verse 15. Which again, like I've said over and over again, the, like pretty much every gospel writer starts off by saying, this is how awesome Jesus is. This is how incredible he is. And then he goes kind of right into basically this is who you are. So like this is who you are because of who Jesus is. And then he lays out kind of moral ways to walk. Essentially, this is how you should behave. So he starts off by this is who Jesus is. This is who you are. And because this is who you are, this is how you should behave. And as I've said this over and over again, the gospel is goes like this. It says, this is who Jesus is. You repent, totally surrender your life, come into covenant, blood covenant, with the Lord Jesus Christ that lasts all eternity. You surrender your everything to him. You bow the knee to his lordship. He, you then enter into covenant. He completely changes your identity, makes you a new creation in Christ Jesus, and at that point, you then now are able to act and walk out of who you are. So you're, you're not performing. You don't pray fast, do whatever to become who you are. You are simply doing all those things because it is now who you are. So the revelation of who you are in Christ, of who Christ is and who you are in Christ, leads you to change. It leads you to walk because you are transformed and you believe that through faith. So he just gets done essentially doing all of that, which almost every writer does right off the bat in the first chapter. And then he goes on to go, and you know how I know this? Like he basically starts to make a kind of an argument for how he knows. So this is kind of cool. So listen to Second Peter 1. Uh, we'll start in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What he's saying is, of course, he in part is writing Second Peter, and he wrote First Peter to combat the various heresies. Uh, again, if we <laughs> if we didn't have the heretics going around, the Judaizers, the Gnostics, the Docetists, um, you know, these kind of people that were running around the spouting heresy, we wouldn't have like half the letters we have in the New Testament because most of them were written by Paul or Peter to go, these guys are stupid, and we're right, and. So anyway, he's basically he's saying to them, look, you have been listening in part to people who are just making up cleverly devised tales. And he's like, we didn't do that. We actually make known we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses. He's just saying, like, we saw it. 
We know it. We saw it with our own eyes. We're not making this up. Like we were there and we saw. Verse 17, for when he received, meaning Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, such as an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. So what he's about to say is like, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. Meaning when Jesus received honor from the Father God, we actually heard it audibly, and he calls the Father God the majestic glory. (laughs) And he quotes him, the majestic glory slash the Father God, in reference to speaking about Jesus. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then he says, and we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So basically he's saying like, look, we were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. We were eyewitnesses to his power. And then he himself, Peter, so Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration when they heard the audible voice of God say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so he's there. He's basically saying, look, I, we heard it with our eyes. Uh, we heard it with our eyes. We saw it <laughs> with our eyes and we heard it with our ears. Um, that this is real, that he is. And, and, and so we speak to you as people who heard it and people who saw it, not people making things up or making up weird uh, tales to fool you. Like that isn't us. Like we're totally different than them. So verse 19, he says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. I love that. He's like, it's like we, the prophetic word, essentially he's talking about that came down through the ages that there was a Messiah coming and that Jesus fulfilled the messianic role and the messianic, um, you know, the, what the what the actual Messiah was supposed to do. He's like, we have it made more sure. He's essentially saying that because we saw it and because we heard it, we're not just believing by faith. Like we actually saw it and we heard it. Now, of course, everybody believes by faith, but what they're saying is they physically literally got to see it and hear it. And then he says um, that you basically saying to them, uh, to, the, to the people he's writing to, that you guys need to pay more attention to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And the morning star arises in your hearts. Now, that's an interesting phrase because uh, there's been a lot of debate about what he means here about the morning star. But I believe because there's both references in the book of Revelation and in the book of Daniel, if I recall, that Jesus is referred to as the morning star. Definitely in the book of Revelation, he's referred to as a morning star. So I think what he's saying here is the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. So basically, pay attention to what we're saying. Pay attention to this is real. Jesus rose from the grave. He will transform you. He came as the Messiah. He's basically saying, like, pay attention to this um, because the uh, and, 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 you know, until essentially the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I think what he's saying is until the light bulb goes off in your hearts and you know for your sake and for yourselves that this is real, what we're talking about. So I think that's what he's saying. And then verse 20, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Now that's hardcore too. It's like, but know this, that no prophecy of scripture is, is a matter of one's own interpretation. Now, this becomes a weird and problematic scripture. And you're kind of like, well, why? Because I think, you know, when you initially read it, you think, well, of course that's true. Like, 
um, if somebody made a prophecy in Scripture, and of course, in this context, Peter's referring to the prophecy of the Messiah, the prophecy of, of the Messiah to come, and he's saying, look, Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Um, and I think the reason he's saying this is because he's saying, like, look, there's a lot of people right now arguing. Um, and he's saying this for his time, of course, and, of course, they argue it all the way till today. I, and the argument is that, well, those prophecies of, of Scripture actually mean X, Y, Z. And then Jesus came and John the Baptist came and said, actually, those prophecies mean A, B, C. And so, uh, they, like, Jesus is basically saying, look, it's ABC. And these guys around Peter's time and today are saying, no, 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 those prophecies means, mean X, Y, Z. And that's why they can't apply to Jesus. So that's what, what he's saying here. But the point is, he's like, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is of one's own interpretation. So in other words, what he's saying is either we're right or they're right, but both can't be right. And he's saying, like, it, the prophecies about the Messiah cannot just be up to somebody's interpretation. Like, they mean something. Um, and then he continues that thought because he goes, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, you, you might go back to my previous statement, is, is why is that a problem? In other words, he seems to be making just a normal statement here. And, and again, I think he's addressing... Uh, the people at the time who were kind of trying to say that, you know, actually the prophecies mean this and, and, you know, they're going, no, they mean this. And they're like, well, that's your interpretation. And, you know, he's saying, no, it's not our interpretation. <laughs> he's like, this is the way it is because no prophecy is up for man's own interpretation because men didn't m prophesy. It was actually Holy Spirit who moved on them and made them prophesy. But here's why that's weird when he says no prophecies up to man's interpretation. Okay, we have this idea, and oh boy, we're going to jump into stuff. I don't know who's listening to this, but <laughs> eventually I'm going to have to do a long uh, study on Matthew chapter 24. But what you're going to find out is when he says no prophecy. Okay, let me back up. If you are unaware, there is a theological, uh, I don't know how you put this, a theological understanding, a theological idea um, that is we call in theological circles um, either a prophetic foreshadowing or prophetic perspective. You might hear one of those two phrases. It's called, and, and we use them in regards to prophecy uh, specifically. So some people will say, well, um, th this, this particular prophecy uh, is kind of needs to be seen through the lens of what a theologian would call prophetic perspective or sometimes called prophetic foreshadowing. And basically what that means is they'll look at a, a prophecy and they'll say, okay, we see that that prophecy meant X, Y, Z uh, at that time, but we also see that it foreshadows something that is yet to come. So they basically look at a prophecy and go, okay, we, we see how that kind of was fulfilled then, but we also see that there was layers to this prophetic word, and therefore it, it actually also has a future fulfillment. Now, the one that's done the most of this, now, of course, they don't even talk to you usually about prophetic perspective or prophetic foreshadowing at all when people teach out of Matthew 24. But if they have any kind of theological education at all, they should at least tell you about this. So in other words, like when you look at Matthew chapter 24, most people, and I'm not going to go into it right now, most of you guys know it's like 
I don't even go into it, but it's basically all the stuff people talk about is referring 100% to the end times. So you'll, you'll have people teach on Matthew 24, and they'll go, yeah, this is all for today, like 2,000 years removed from the original prophecy, as if the prophecy Jesus was giving at that time had absolutely nothing to do with the people he was talking to, <laughs> which would really seem kind of strange if you think about it, that, that Jesus is literally prophesying these things, which had nothing at all to do with his to the original hearers whatsoever. I mean, that seems kind of weird and actually only had to do with 2,000 years into the future. It, it's kind of a weird way to look at scripture, but this is how people teach it. Now, people who kind of have a, a bit of uh, more understanding, they will say something like this. They'll say, okay, um, we have, uh, the, the, this we can see was fulfilled in their time. So they'll look at Matthew 24 and go, okay, well, this was fulfilled in their time. But the principle of prophetic foreshadowing or for prophetic perspective would also say that now um, it also has this application or future fulfillment like ten, uh, two, 2,000 years into the future or whatever. And so, but that's the idea is that it has like these multiple fulfillments or multiple layers. And, and I, I think that it's, again, when we, when we look at Second Peter and that statement, it, it, it just becomes kind of like, well, how do, you, how do you view that then? Like when he says, um, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Like in order to come up with this, this idea, and by the way, I'm not against the idea of prophetic foreshadowing or prophetic perspective where words given, you know, have maybe multiple fulfillments or are fulfilled kind of in part in one era and maybe fully fulfilled in another era. Um, but it, it is, I just, all right, how do I say this? Like, <laughs> when you're looking at the prophetic, when this kind of a scripture, no prophecy is a matter of one's own interpretation. All I'm saying is, I think we have to be very careful when we say, well, this prophecy actually meant this, and it was actually for 2,000 years into the future, and had absolutely nothing to do with the people then. I think that that's a weird thing to say. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Anyway, all I'm saying is, like, let's be really careful about the prophecies that we look at in the scripture that, especially the ones that seem to obviously be fulfilled, and then yet we're going to throw it out into the future, like 2,000 years, uh, simply because we think it fits our time better or something. I just think we need to be really careful with that. So all I want to do is say, look, the Bible says that prophecy is not a matter of one's own interpretation, which means it has a meaning, and it has a meaning intended by God, and it's not up for debate, you know, like what that meaning is. Uh, so in other words, if you find people that are debating the, the fulfillment of a prophecy or what a prophetic word means. And, and now I'm not talking about like prophetic words you'd receive from a human now, which could always be fallible and could always be wrong because none of us is 100% correct. But I'm talking about the ones made in scripture that people argue about. Look, somebody's right and somebody's wrong. But if they contradict each other, both cannot be right. So someone's right and someone's wrong. And just to say, well, this is an issue of prophetic perspective or, or prophetic foreshadowing, mean, meaning it has multiple layers. And even though they sound like they contradict, it's actually we'll just throw it out into the future and say it has multiple fulfillments. Um, I, I don't know that that's a great way to do it. I, I think sometimes we're going to have to look at prophecy and go, look, it either means this or it means this. But it can't mean 40 different things stretched out over 2000 years. I, I just think we need to be careful with that. And I guess the reason I'm saying this is because I'm going to be teaching on Matthew chapter 24. And I'm going to be teaching all the way through the book of Revelation when uh, my buddy and I, Keith, start doing Basileia, the school of the kingdom. And I want to just kind of posit some of this. And, and even those of you, I know some of you who listen to this podcast because you told me are going to be coming to the school. And I guess I want to just sort of 
get it out there and make sure everyone kind of hears and understands that uh, that concept. Even I'm just going to sow that concept now, so you're kind of thinking about it even now. But um, so anyway, he contrasts that. Let me go back and read that one more time, so you kind of get it in perspective. So he says, "But know this first of all: that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by Holy Spirit spoke from God." And I want everyone to know: if you get a prophetic word and it's legitimate, it's not an act of your will. It's an act of Holy Spirit moving on you and telling you to speak. So just understand that. So he contrasts that with the big but. So Second Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 1, which is, the, again, it's so weird sometimes where they make chapter breaks, which I understand why they made a chapter break here, but it's like he, it's definitely one coherent thought. He, he just got done talking about, look, prophecy is not a matter of interpretation. And then he goes right into Second Peter 2, verse 1, which says, but false prophets also arose among the people. Basically saying like, look, no prophecy is a matter of one's own interpretation. It's totally given by God. And even though it spoke through human agency, but then he goes, but there's these other group of people called false prophets. And he goes, false prophets also arose among the people essentially at the same time as the right ones, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Now, I think this is really, really, really interesting. <laughs> now, most people, this gets, this gets, I don't know how to say this in a way, but most people, when they hear the term false prophet, and most of the time when you hear people being accused of false prophets or being false prophets, it's almost always charismatic people or Pentecostal people that are famous. Like, so if you were to go and Google false prophets, I don't know what would pop up. Maybe I should try doing it sometime, but probably what you would get is like Bethel Church or Bill Johnson or somebody like that, like or Chris Valentin of Bethel Church. I mean, you would probably get, that's what I'm imagining, that that would pop up. And basically what they'll just say is that these guys are false prophets and they're false teachers because we don't like what they teach. Um, basically, that's what they'll say. They'll be like, we don't believe in signs and wonders. Now, they, don't, they won't necessarily say this, but I've looked into it many times. They don't believe in signs, wonders, miracles, or the what you call the sign gifts. They're cessationists. So anyone who would claim tongues or miracles or power or gift or signs and wonders or anything that God is doing those things to them is a false prophet or a false teacher. So they label and then they try and dig up a bunch of stuff about like Bill or Bethel. I'm just using them as an example because I've probably seen the most hate pages about uh, Bill Johnson and Bethel Church than any other church. Um, <laughs> so what they'll do is say they're false prophets and they start digging up stuff that they think is weird. Like they'll talk about grave sucking and people lying on graves, which I've seen Bill Johnson publicly refute. Uh, they'll talk about how sensual their music is and how the music coming out really just doesn't glorify God and is all about the human being. And, and then they'll dissect the lyrics. And anyway, they do all this kind of stuff essentially to be like they're false and they're bad false prophets. But what I want you guys to understand is, is that is not what Peter's talking about here. Uh, when he says false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. And I'll get into that word next, uh, next podcast, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Now, the question is, what are they denying about the master? 
And what is a heresy? In other words, what does that word mean? Like, what does that Greek word mean? And what does that mean that they deny the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves? Because he's saying false teachers will, will, be, will have two things that they do. They'll introduce destructive heresies and they'll deny the master who bought. Now they're saying that one of the destructive heresies will be denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So I, I guess I just want to we're going to outline what I think that that means. I think what he's speaking in the context, we're going to talk about what a false prophet really is, what a false teacher really is, at least according to this scripture. And we're going to dive into that and we're going to find out what is a false teaching? What is a false prophet? Like, what is that really? And we'll get into that more um, as we continue. So, um, but that will be for next podcast. We're going to dive into those two topics, false teaching, uh, false preacher, or sorry, false uh, prophets and fall and what's heresy and denying the master. So we'll talk about that next time so we can all be well equipped to make sure we're not one of those. And also when we hear something kind of go, oh, that doesn't sound right. So anyway, love you guys. Um, hope things are going great. I hope your January is amazing and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Unleash Ministries podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by an encounter with the Father's love poured out through his word. If you would desire to bless this ministry financially, please visit www.unleashedchurch.org and click on the Give link. Thank you.